What is going on, sports fans, and welcome back to another edition of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast presented by Anchor, Season 3, Episode 21, and we've got an absolutely loaded episode for you today. NFL Week 6 recap, we recap every game in the NFL's Week 6 in our fastest five minutes in football. We also preview and predict every game happening in the NFL Week 7, including Thursday Night Football, huge showdown between the Cleveland Browns and the Denver Broncos. We also got some college football to talk about. The new AP Top 25 poll just dropped. There were some upsets this week. We will definitely talk about that, talk about the upcoming games this weekend in college football as well. The NBA season starts tonight. I'll talk a little bit about the season, preview it a little bit, and give my finals prediction right now, or this early in the season. And we also got some playoff baseball to talk about. ALCS. MLCS are in full swing. The Dodgers and the Braves are playing game three right now. I'll update you on the score of that one throughout the episode as well. That's how I think the rest of the ALCS is going to shape out. So basically, we are covering every base today in sports, and it's an episode you're not going to want to miss. But before we get into all of that, this episode, as always, is brought to you by Anchor. Now, Anchor, if you don't know what Anchor is, let me explain it to you. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. So if you have any interest at all in making your own podcast, like kind of like I'm doing right now, Go to your app, the App Store or Google Play Store today and download the free Anchor app on your phone, tablet, computer, or go online to anchor.fm to get started with your very own podcast today. Today is Tuesday, October 19th. Let's go. And welcome back into Season 3, Episode 21 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. You know what time it is. It's time to recap the weekend of the NFL. This week, it was Week 6. We start in Nashville on Monday Night Football where the Titans and the Bills got together. And it seems there is something crazy every time these two teams get together. Derrick Henry had it all in this game. It must be something about playing the Bills. Last time he played the Bills in primetime, he stiff-armed Josh Norman virally. And to th- last night, he ran for 140 yards and three touchdowns. And this game had it all. Seven lead changes, an attempt at the Music City Miracle 2.0, and a goal line stand by Tennessee to essentially win the game with 21 seconds left. Derrick Henry is tossing defenders at an amazing rate, and if he can stay healthy, the Titans are a tough matchup. Meanwhile, Buffalo will spend two weeks chewing on this loss. I love gutsy fourth down decisions, but Sean McDermott committed coaching malpractice by declining to take a chip shot game-tying field goal on the road against a tough opponent. The Bills seem destined to cruise to the AFC's title, but we might remember this result 
if they ultimately fall short of clinching home field advantage in the playoffs as the Titans win a wild one, 34-31. We go to the Steel City where the Steelers took on Geno Smith and the Seahawks. Two sacks in the game-winning forced fumble in overtime. TJ Watt is here to remind you he should have been the defensive player of the year last year by winning it right damn now as the Steelers win in overtime 23-20. We go to Foxborough and where the Patriots took on the Cowboys in the probably the wildest game of the day as Mac Jones and Dak Prescott were throwing haymakers. But in the end, CD waved bye-bye to the Patriots as Dak Prescott tallied 445 yards and two touchdowns. And it was a battle to be, it was the battle between America's team. Dak Prescott, Captain America, his five, 445 passing yards were the most ever against the Bill Belichick coach team, leading Dallas to its first win in New England since 1987. If the Cowboys are setting all family business godfather style, Washington will be in trouble come December as the Cowboys win 35 to 29. We go to mile high where the Raiders were dealing with a lot after losing their coach John Gruden to a well-deserved firing. This may be one of the most impressive victories in Raiders history, especially considering it came at the expense of the coach with whom the franchise had the most contentious battles with and against. And I know, Mike Shanahan is persona non grata among most Washington fans, but his addition to the Broncos' ring of honor was long overdue, considering his fingerprints are on the only two Lombardi trophies that John Elway won. But the Raiders, led by their new coach and looked like an inspired team out there in Mile High as they beat the Broncos 34-24. We go to Cleveland where Arizona, the Arizona Cardinals were flying all over the banged-up Browns. Arizona went on the road without their head coach, a number of key assistants, and their best pass rusher and still laid an unholy beatdown on the Browns. Literally, someone check on Baker Mayfield's mangled arm. Either the Browns aren't who we thought they were, or the Cardinals are straight up clowning everyone who said they were going to be pretenders this year, as they win 37-14. We go to Landover, Maryland, where the football team took on the Chiefs, and giving Washington's questionable timing of the retirement of the late Sean Taylor's number 21, it was almost fitting that Kansas City won by reeling off 21 unanswered points against this underachieving defense that cur that's currently nowhere near the units they that Sean Taylor played on in the mid-2000s. Yet, somehow the offense was the most disappointing unit of all. If they can't score on a historically bad defense ranked dead last in points allowed, what chance do they have moving forward? As the Chiefs win, 31-13. to We go to Baltimore, Maryland, the other side of Maryland, where even though Lamar Jackson didn't keep up his ridiculous MVP pace, Baltimore outrushed the Chargers 187-26 and the defense further made a statement by shutting down the previously red-hot Justin Herbert. Even with all the injuries, the Ravens might be as good as the 2019 team that won 14 games, as the Ravens win 34-6. We go to New York, where the Giants took on the Rams in East Rutherford, New Jersey. And all I can say about this one is on the 10th anniversary of New York's last Super Bowl victory, nobody deserves this more than the Giants. <laughs> as the Rams absolutely crushed the Giants, 38-11. to 11. 
We go to Charlotte, North Carolina, where the Vikings and the Panthers were in a wild one as the Vikings were up two scores with two minutes left. But Sam Darnold led the Panthers on two scoring drives to send the game into overtime. But at the end of the day, Kirk Cousins found K.J. Osborne, and Kirk Cousins told the fans in Minnesota, do you like that? Because he likes that as the Vikings win 34-28. We go to Chicago where Aaron Rodgers told the Chicago fans, I own you, I've owned you all my effing life, and I will always own you. And Green Bay has won five straight. Aaron Rodgers' swag and trash talk game is off the charts, and the inept Washington defense is coming to Lambeau Field. If he owns the Bears, Rodgers is about to discount double check all over the burgundy and gold as the Packers win 24-14. We go to Indy where the Colts took on the Houstons in a real snooze fest. But, I mean, good for Indy. Finally get a break in the schedule and take advantage of a helpless Houston franchise as Jonathan Taylor ran wild and Carson Wentz is looking like the Carson Wentz of old as the Colts win 31-3. We go to Detroit where the Bengals look like legitimate threats in the AFC North. And I do not know how to function in a world where 4-2 Cincinnati is headed to Baltimore to play for first place in the AFC North. And Detroit thinks an 0-6 start is the beginning of something special. As the Bengals win, 34-11. We go to London, where the Dolphins took on the Jaguars in a really stunning football match. London seems to be the answer for all that ails Jacksonville. On the same day as NLCS Game 2, the Jaguars used a slider to end a 20-game losing streak and improve to 4-4 across the pond all time. So basically, the Jags are mediocre overseas and flat-out garbage domestically. And I would like to congratulate the Miami Dolphins on the number one pick in the upcoming NFL Draft as the Jaguars win their first game of the year, 23-20. We finish in Philadelphia, where exactly 20 years to the day he threw his first career touchdown pass, Tom Brady tossed two more with an injured thumb to add to his unbelievable legacy. The man ain't human. As the Buccaneers win, 28-22. Week six is in the books, and that was the fastest five minutes in football presented by Anchor. And what a week in football it was. There were Now, this week, there were a lot of blowouts in the NFL. And, you know, I always like watching close football games. And this year has blessed us with great game after great game. It seems like we've had a great game every week in the NFL this year. But this week was kind of that snoozer week. And we have one of those... Once every year in the NFL, but the reason I'm okay with the snoozer week happening when it did this time is because we have an extra week of football. There's 18 weeks of football this year instead of 17, so we can kind of just throw this one out as the extra week, right? <laughs> but anyway, there's a lot to get to in this week. We'll start like we always do with the Cleveland Browns because I got some things to get off my chest about the Cleveland Browns, and I'm not very confident about the Cleveland Browns. And I'm gonna we're gonna start this Browns recap by reading reading the tweets that I fired off during the Browns Cardinals game on Sunday. And I hope you guys enjoy this. So this one happened Sunday at 4.17 p.m. So the game started at 4.05. This was 12 minutes after the game start started. I tweeted, the Browns defense is a complete joke. And that was, I, I believe it was after DeAndre Hopkins avoided, I don't know, six Browns defenders on his way to the end zone. It was just bad tackling after bad tackling. And I, so, sometimes you can't, you, can't, you can't deal with it. So that was at 417. Moving on. 428, 11 minutes later. 
I tweeted, death, taxes, the Browns giving up a sack on fourth down in the red zone. Because I love Kevin Stefanski, the NFL coach of the year last year, led the Browns to their first playoff appearance since 2002. They got a playoff win last year. It was probably the season of dreams that I've had ever. The best season I've ever had as a Browns fan in my 21 years on this earth. But the man deserves to be criticized because this year, every time the Browns go for it on fourth down the red zone, I feel like Baker Mayfield gets sacked. It happened a couple times in the Minnesota game. It happened early in the Chicago game. And it happened again on Sunday. And it's just a frustrating trend. At some point, we saw it last night with the Bills-Titans game. At some point, you got to take the points because three points is three points. And points are hard to get in the NFL. And until the Browns offense starts performing like that offense that we thought could go for it on fourth down at will, kind of like the LA Chargers are right now, or were last week against the Browns, the Browns need to start kicking some kicking some field goals. So that was my second tweet at 4.28 p.m. I think this is a good way to recap the game, just my thoughts during the game. Then I tweeted at 4.44 p.m. So this is all within the 4 o'clock hour. So much has happened. I tweeted, welcome to the ref show, exclamation point, exclamation point, hashtag Browns. And this was in reaction to some tacky calls against the Browns. The officiating has been against the Browns pretty much all year. But I'm not blaming the loss on Sunday on that at all. But there was a spin in Sunday's game right around when I tweeted this. The officials in that game threw six penalty flags in the span of seven plays. Now, I know the old saying, you can throw a flag on every play in the NFL, and there's holding on every play in the NFL. But at some point, you got to swallow your whistle and let the people play football. Let the players play. I can tell you what, the the 70,000 fans in the dog pound did not pay to watch the referees ref. And that's what they had to watch a lot on Sunday. There's just flag after flag after flag. The Cardinals moved down the field on their third scoring drive. They were already up 14-0. So, like I said, I'm not blaming the loss in the officiating. But their third scoring drive, they moved the ball on the field thanks to two bad pass interference calls, one tacky roughing the passer call, and the the officiating just was not there on Sunday. And it's been noticed throughout the league. That was my third tweet. Fourth tweet, 4.55 p.m., still in the 4 o'clock hour. Why did Baker just stop? Question mark, question mark, question mark. And this was in, I think we were down 20-0. Baker, it was Baker's first fumble of the game that was a lost fumble. He was running around trying to extend the plays. And then the refs threw a flag. And Baker just stopped when they threw the flag. And he got hit. He fumbled. And the Cardinals recovered. It looked like he thought the play was blown dead. It was just very strange to me. Obviously, the Cardinals only got a field goal out of that drive. But still, it was a very strange play. Then I tweeted, at 5.04 p.m., nine minutes later, Gonna be a long season, dot, 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 after Baker Mayfield threw one of the worst interceptions I've ever seen him throw in his NFL career. And the last tweet of the game on Sunday was 6.47 p.m. The game was decided. We were down 37-14. to I think it was right after Kareem Hunt got injured. I said, the Browns have all the makings of a 7-10 team. Defensive struggles and injuries will kill them for the rest of the season. 
And I think the Browns are in danger of that, my friends. I think the Browns are in danger of severely underperforming, much like the 2019 version of the Browns. I think they're in, in a lot of danger of going 7-10, and 8-9, and 9-8, somewhere nobody thought the Browns would ever be close to getting this season after the amazing season they had last year. And there's a lot that concerns me with this Browns team. And we'll get there, but I think Thursday is a must-win game for the Browns. And we're going to preview that in a little bit, but back to this game for the Browns. I think the biggest problem for the Browns this season so far is the defense. And specifically Joe Woods, because I can't remember the last time I saw a defense blow as many coverages as the Browns do. We saw it last week with the Chargers, with Mike Williams breaking loose for a 40-plus yard touchdown and a 70-plus yard touchdown where there was no one within five yards of the guy. And on Sunday, there was a play. DeAndre Hopkins was just wide open alone in the back of the end zone. It's DeAndre Hopkins. You can't leave DeAndre Hopkins alone in the back of the end zone, you know? Like, you'd think... When you're in the red zone, there's one guy on the other team you got to cover, and it's the all-pro receiver, DeAndre Hopkins. But I, they just didn't. And I think the Browns need to change something up on the defensive side of the ball schematically. I think that starts with getting rid of Joe Woods as the defensive coordinator. I think people were a little too quick to crown Joe Woods a great defensive coach after the Browns had those three really good They had an average game against the Texans, but then they had two really good defensive games against the Bears and the Vikings, who, no offense, aren't lighting the world on fire. I think you have to look at quality of opponent when evaluating the performance of this Browns team this year. And they've beaten bad teams, and they've lost to good teams. Where does that leave them? Very, very average. But part of those losses is on the defense. This is an interesting stat that I saw that kind of illustrates the defense, the, the, the difference between Joe Woods this year and Joe Woods last year and the Browns team this year and the Browns team last year because the Browns team this year has a Super Bowl roster. Their, their roster could, should be probably 6-0 and right now, and they're 3-3. Three and three. And a lot of people are wondering why that is, and I'll tell you why that is. Last year, the Browns gave up 30 or more points Eight times. And their record in those games were five and three last year. But right off the bat, I can think of the Titans game they won. The both I believe both Bengals games they won, even though they gave up 30 plus points. They obviously won the playoff game in Pittsburgh after giving up 30 plus points. And there has to be one more I'm missing. But the point is, last year the Browns offense was good enough to withstand a bad defensive performance where the defense gave up 30-plus points most of the time, generally speaking. This year, the Browns have given up 30-plus points three different times, and the record in those games is 0-3. So what does that tell you? Well, it tells you a couple things. It tells you the defense is having some of the same problems they had last year, and maybe just bringing in the big big names like Jadavian Clowney, like Troy Hill, like John Johnson – wouldn't fix the defense overnight like a lot of people in Cleveland thought it would. And it also tells you the offense is underperforming. And that is a recipe for disaster. That's a big reason the Browns are 3-3 three and three right now. But I think the first thing that needs to be addressed is 
defensive coordinator slash defensive scheme. Because every game this year, aside from the Bears and the Vikings game, the Browns defense has gotten out-schemed, if you know what I mean. Like the offensive approach of Houston can't, I'll even say Houston because the Browns were not supposed to be that close with Houston. But Kansas City, the Chargers, and obviously this week against the Cardinals, the offensive scheme was just so difficult to stop for the Browns. And the thing that was embarrassing about Sunday was that the Cardinals didn't have their offense, their their head coach, Cliff Kingsbury, who's their play caller, or their quarterback's coach. And if you're getting out coached by, I think it was a receivers or running backs coach and their defensive coordinator calling offensive plays, that is not very good. That's the first thing that needs to change. I think the Browns should do something like Ohio State did. Ohio State turned their season around, and it was a great move by Coach Ryan Day. Kerry Coombs, the I think he's the defensive backs coach at Ohio State, and he also used to call plays on defense. They made a change. They put him up in the press box, and they brought down their defensive coordinator and had the defensive coordinator call the plays in the field. Since then, that was after the Oregon game, they made that change. Since then, the Buckeyes are undefeated, and their defense is playing a lot better. I think the Browns should do something similar with that. Maybe you have Joe Woods not call the defensive plays. Maybe you have Joe Woods sit up in the press box so maybe he can see different things than he would see on the field. I think the Browns need to consider doing something like that. But another thing that concerns me most about this Browns team is the injuries. And I know injuries are a part of the game. But man, oh man, oh man. 37% of the Browns' active roster this week was on their injury report. The most significant injury move, injury news that happened this week. Obviously, Kareem Hunt has a calf injury. The Browns placed him on injured reserve, which means he'll miss a minimum of three games. And the expectation is he's going to miss four to six weeks, which is a brutal blow. The other guy that Browns placed on injured reserve this week was rookie Jeremiah Uwuso-Koromoa, who's well on his way to being the defensive rookie of the year, in my opinion. He's been flying around the ball on defense. He has a significant ankle injury. He was placed on injured reserve. He will miss at least three games as well. And then there's also some other significant injuries we got to keep an eye on. You know, obviously, Nick Chubb is out Thursday night against Denver with that same calf injury. Injury. I thought after the Browns ruled out Nick Chubb on Sunday, he would not play this game on Thursday. That wasn't surprising to me. I expect to see Nick Chubb back next week against Pittsburgh. And then obviously, Jedrick Wills and Jack Conklin, two of the five outstanding offensive linemen for the Browns. The unit was expected to be number one going into this season, and we only got to see them play fully healthy in that Kansas City first half in which they ran all over the Chiefs and were up 29 to 10 or 22 to 10 or something like that. So we haven't seen that since week 1. Those two have not officially been ruled out on Thursday, but the Browns need them back as soon as possible. And of course, this is going to lead us into our Thursday night preview and then we're going to preview all the games in week 6 in week 7. Week seven, excuse me. But let's get into this this other injured player for the Browns. First off, side note, Odell Beckham Jr. 
is questionable for Thursday. He did not practice today. That's something to keep an eye on as well. But we're, of course, talking about Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield practiced with a limited availability today. But Baker Mayfield revealed to the media today that he fully tore his labrum. He's been playing since week two against the Houston Texans with a fully torn labrum. And that's... Uh, it, so it's, the injury is more serious than we saw. on In Sunday's game, I, I'm sure you guys remember the play, but if you didn't, it was Baker's second fumble. He got hit and sacked by J.J. Watt and his left shoulder, which is his non-throwing shoulder. He kind of got pushed into the ground and his shoulder popped out and Baker went down in a lot of pain. It turns out his shoulder popped out of its socket twice on Sunday. They popped it back in. Baker was able to finish the game, but he did not look the same after that. Now, I think Baker's a tough player, and obviously Baker said today, I'll try to find the quote for you guys. Let's see. There there was a lot of talk about Baker Mayfield today. He said, whether he'll be able to play Thursday, it's his decision. He basically said, only I know my body and I know my limits. He said, so like, well, he basically said, so I'm going to try and throw on Thursday, see how I feel, and if I can't go, I can't go. And Kevin Stefanski today said about Baker, he's a fighter. He's as tough as they come. I expect him to fight like crazy to get to Thursday. I think that's a great message to our entire team. But you look at this Browns team, man. They probably won't – they won't have – we know they won't have Kareem Hunter, Nick Chubb. We know that they probably, as it looks right now, they probably won't have Jedrick Wills or Jack Conklin. The more and more I think about this, the less and less sense it makes for Baker Mayfield to play on Thursday night. I mean, whether it's not season-ending or needing surgery, Baker's shoulder is clearly a serious injury. My question is the status of his O-line. I'd rather put Case Keenum the backup quarterback for the Browns, who is making $6 million a year behind a hurt offensive line on short rest, then risk making Baker Mayfield's injury even worse somehow. And that's where I'm at with this injury. I respect the heck out of Baker for playing through this injury. I know I couldn't play with a a fully torn labrum. He's been playing on it for weeks. But... He is important to the Browns' long-term success, not only this year, but the next couple of years. I assume the Browns are eventually going to sign him to an extension. I think he is the quarterback of the future here in Cleveland. That's why you can't risk re-injuring this. And I think a lot of people don't want to hear this, but my level-headed take as a level-headed Browns fan, looking at it not through the lens of a fan, but through the lens of of a journalist, and a podcaster. I think what's more important is Baker in December and January than Baker in a Thursday night game against a Broncos team that is really struggling. And I think Case Keenum can go out there and play well enough for you to get to scratch, like Kevin Stefanski said, scratch and claw and grind your way to a win. And that's just my opinion on the whole matter. But Baker is officially questionable for Thursday as well. And so, so obviously the big news, the, the, the big news that I can report on right now is that Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are both out on Thursday, which means Dearness Johnson is getting his first 
I think, believe it's his first career NFL start at running back. And I'm very excited for Dearness Johnson to have this opportunity. I'm glad the Browns kept him on the roster. He is a good runner. We saw it last year in the Cowboys game. He ran for 13 rushes, 95 yards. He also had a big run in that Colts game. He's run well when he's gotten opportunities at the Browns. And I also think it's a good opportunity for Demetric Felton, the rookie running back slash wide receiver out of UCLA, who's shown flashes this year. We obviously know saw his receiving touchdown where he hit the spin move against the Houston Texans. So that's something to look at too. But I think this week for the Browns, it's next man up. Injuries are part of the game of football. Great teams can respond and overcome them. So it's, it, Thursday is a, I said it before, I'll say it again. Thursday is a must-win game. We're going to preview the Thursday Night Football and Week 7 as a whole in a minute. But first, let's get to our power rankings after Week 6 of the NFL. I watched some games this week. I know enough about these power rankings, so let's go ahead and get to my power rankings. The number one team in football right now, at some point I have to I have to give respect where respect is due. I got to watch this team play on Sunday. The 1972 Dolphins can't open that champagne just yet because the Arizona Cardinals are undefeated still. They're my number one team in football right now. They're 6-0. Their offense is clicking on all cylinders. Their defense made a lot of plays on Sunday, albeit against the banged-up Browns squad. But the fact that they went into Cleveland, hostile environment, not great weather, a game they were underdogs in, a lot of people penciled it in as their first loss. I know I did. They went in there without their head coach, their quarterback's coach, and their best defensive player in Chandler Jones, and they laid the woods to a Browns team. That was a big win for them. It was a quintessential team victory. Arizona piled up five sacks, forced Baker Mayfield into three turnovers, while Kyler Murray threw four TDs, two of them to D-hop. They're 6-0 for the first time since 1974. They're my number one team in football. Number two, I still got the Bills. I think I had the Bills number one last week, if I'm not mistaken. I would have the Bills at number two right now. I was criticizing Sean McDermott for going for on fourth and one rather than kicking the late field goal for overtime, but... He put his faith in his franchise quarterback, Josh Allen, to secure the win. The disastrous outcome is unfortunate, but the Bills likely went to the locker room knowing that that's a game they win nine times out of ten. They still are the team. This Bills team played well enough on last night to win, and in my mind, they're still the team that beat Kansas City a couple weeks ago, and not just beat them, absolutely shut down the Chiefs a couple weeks ago. They're my number two team in football. Number three, a little bit of surprise here. I got the Dallas Cowboys at number three, and Dak Prescott's looking like an MVP candidate. He would not be denied on Sunday against the Patriots. He helped keep the Cowboys in business with that 24-yard completion to CeeDee Lamb in the final seconds of regulation, then connected with CeeDee Lamb, who is a legitimate number one receiver in the NFL, again, on a 35-yard TD to seal the 35-29 win over the Pats in Foxborough. Prescott limped to the locker room with a strained calf, but obviously Dallas is on a bye, so he's not going to miss any time. Prior to the heroics of Prescott and Lamb, there was this guy named Trevon Diggs who's going to be the defensive player of the year. Seven interceptions in six games. He had a, a pick six on Mac Jones late in the fourth quarter. And the Cowboys, the best way I can describe the Cowboys right now, they're a big play team. 
They're a very complete roster. They have one of the deepest rosters in the NFL. And if they can stay healthy, I expect them to be contending for the NFC title at the end of the year. They're my number three team. Number four, we got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, the Bucs toyed with the Eagles a little bit on Thursday night. They played their third game in 12 days. Very tough stretch, obviously, but they built 28-7 lead, let the foot off, their foot off the gas a little bit. But Tom Brady coolly jogged back on the field, removed any drama from, from the proceedings with a 27-yard completion to Antonio Brown. A slew of injuries aside, the Bucs are off to a very strong start in their title defense. They're number four. Number five, we're going to go with the Green Bay Packers. Um, Aaron Rodgers is a Jordan-like comp- competitor, able to find motivation that will raise his play. And we saw that on Sunday at Soldier Field when the reigning MVP iced the game with a touchdown scramble then delivered a pointed message to Bears fans. I said it in the fastest two minute, fastest five minutes, excuse me, and I'll say it again. All my effing life, I own you. I still own you. I still own you. His 22-5 and record against the Bears stands as the best winning percentage by a quarterback against a single opponent since 1950, among those with a minimum of 25 starts. He's a bad man, ladies and gentlemen, and he alone is why the Packers are number five in my power rankings. Number six, I got to go with the Baltimore Ravens. They got some bad injury news today. They're starting right tackle or left tackle, like um, pro bowler. I think it's their left tackle, Ronnie Stanley maybe. Let's see if that makes sure that's who it is. Yeah, left tackle Ronnie Stanley has been placed on injured reserve and will need season-ending surgery. That's a big blow for this Ravens team, but they're looking like the Ravens team in 2019 that went 14-2. Lamar Jackson. Obviously, he's a dynamic player. The Ravens rushed for 187 yards on 38 carries with Devontae Freeman, Latavius Murray, and Le'Veon Bell all scoring. And the defense did a really good job on Sunday. That, that was the unit that most impressed me most in the Ravens on Sunday. They held the Chargers to 26 rushing yards and limited L.A. to 4 for 16 on 3rd and 4th down. So they're my number 6 team in football right now. Number 7, I'm going to go with the Los Angeles Rams. Um... They've just been very consistent this year. Cooper Cup is having an outstanding season. The fifth-year wide receiver has established himself as an important part of the Rams' attack after coming into the league as a third-round pick in 2017. He's made the leap from difference-making starter to superstar in his first season with Matt Stafford as his quarterback. Sunday, he had nine, nine catches for 130 yards and two touchdowns, which, med, which led to a mind-boggling stat that was I saw on Sunday. In the last 35 years, only two players have had 600-plus yards and at least seven touchdowns through six weeks. Randy Moss and Cooper Cup. That's a mind-blowing stat. He's a big reason why the, my, the Rams are my number seven team right now. Number eight, I'm going to go with the Chargers, I think. Yeah, Los Angeles Chargers are going to be number eight. Every team has a bad day, and that's what I chalk it up for the Chargers on Sunday. Justin Herbert was virtually unstoppable before Sunday. Um, he threw some incompletions. Their aggressiveness backfired in this one. It's not how they wanted to hit their bye week, but they should still feel optimistic about what's to come. They got a great offense. They do need to improve a little bit on the defensive end of the ball, especially against the run, but they're still number eight in my power rankings. Number nine, I got the Tennessee Titans. They're not a perfect team. They're definitely, definitely not a perfect team. But they're battle-tested, 
and they're not afraid of the moment. And on Monday night, Mike Vrabel's team went toe-to-toe with the Bills and never blinked. Derrick Henry, 143 yards, three touchdowns, and the defense stood up with a goal line stand on Josh Allen. Ryan Tannehill made his share of money throws down the stretch, but Tennessee doesn't sniff victory without another ferocious performance by Tractor Sito, who might just be the greatest running back of his generation. They're number nine. Number 10, hate to do it, I got the Kansas City Chiefs. And I on my podcast last week, I said the Chiefs wouldn't make the playoffs, but after watching the Browns this week, I don't. I think the Chiefs would definitely beat the Browns out for that last playoff spot in the AFC. For two quarters on Sunday in the first half, the Chiefs looked as lost as ever. They had a bunch of bad turnovers. Patrick Mahomes throwing uncharacteristic interceptions. They were pressing, but they didn't panic. They came out of the tunnel and dominated. Mahomes authored his cleanest half of the season, 19-24 attempts for 175 yards, two touchdowns in the second half. A comfortable blowout was just what the Chiefs needed, but they need to put complete games together down the stretch to turn their season around. And they're my number 10 team. Just missing the cut will go top 15. I'm not going to explain why I have these teams in this order, but we're going to go with it. Number 11, I would have the Cincinnati Bengals. Number 12, I would have the Cleveland Browns. 13, the New Orleans Saints. 14, Minnesota Vikings. And 15, Los Angeles Raiders. Those are my top 15 power rankings. And let's get to our week 7 NFL preview and picks. So last week... In our pick'em, we went nine and five for the fourteen games, bringing our record this season. Let me get up for you guys. We've done a good job this season picking games. We did a good job last time. I kept track of this, but we're doing an even better job this year. We are sixty-three and thirty-one this season, which is pretty pretty good. But let's get to the Browns and the Broncos. That is our first game Thursday night football. Browns are going to be without a lot of key players due to injury. The Broncos' defense is licking their chops. Von Miller was quoted today saying he doesn't know who the Browns' tackle is going to be on Thursday night, but he knows he's going to kill them. So that scares me a little as a Browns fan. And for that reason, I don't know if Baker Mayfield is going to play. I know he's not going to be 100%. Don't know if Odell is going to play. Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb are out. Don't know how healthy the offensive line is. I have no trust in this defense. I'm going to pick the Denver Broncos to win on Thursday night as much as it pains me to do it. And that's going to be my upset pick of the week. But, guys, I just don't have a lot of confidence in the Browns right now. Part of it's due to injuries. Part of it's what I've seen this season. The Broncos are better than their 3-3 three and three record shows, I think. They can score a little bit. Obviously, their three wins are against pretty bad teams. But they came back a little bit last week after going down big to the Raiders. I don't think the Broncos are a great team right now. But I think they're good enough to beat the Browns in. It, 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 Thursday is a must win for the Browns, and I'll say this right now. If the Browns don't win on Thursday night football against the Broncos, they will not make the playoffs, and it will be a long season in Cleveland. And sadly, everybody, I think that's what's going to happen. And I'm going to pick the Broncos on Thursday night football. Sunday, 1 p.m., Packers versus the football team in Lambeau Field. This one could get ugly very quick, and that's why I'm going to pick the Packers. <laughs> Chiefs-Titans in Tennessee. I got to go with the Titans. A little bit of an upset. A lot of people are putting their money on the Chiefs after what they saw from the Chiefs offense last week. But I've seen the Chiefs rushing defense this year. Do you think they have any shot at all at stopping Derrick Henry? 
The answer to that question is no siree. That's why I'm picking the Titans. Dolphins-Falcons, kind of a loser-leaves-who-cares game. The Browns-Broncos game is the definition of a loser-leaves-town game. Whoever loses that game is out of the playoff race. But this game's a who-cares game. Two and three Falcons versus the one and five Dolphins. The Dolphins have been really, really bad this season. And just for that reason alone, I'm going to pick the Falcons. Patriots versus Jets in Foxborough. Got to go with the Patriots in this one. The Jets are very inconsistent. They are coming off a bye week. But Mac Jones showed me on Sunday that he can go toe-to-toe with Dak Prescott. One of the best quarterbacks in the league. I think Mac Jones is the best rookie out of that class right now. So I'm going to go with the Patriots. Giants at Panthers. Must win game for the Panthers. And I'm going to pick the Panthers. Ravens at Bengals. A battle for first place in the AFC North. I got to go with the Ravens, although I do love watching the Bengals play. And I think the Bengals are going to make the playoffs this year. But we'll go with the Ravens on Sunday. Eagles at Raiders. Give me the Raiders. The 4-2 and two Raiders. How about that? The Rams at the Lions. It's going to be ugly. Revenge game for Matt Stafford. It's going to get ugly, folks. The Rams are going to win by 20-plus points. Texans, Cardinals, another ugly one. Wow. Cardinals will win this game by 20-plus points. Bears, Buccaneers, got to go with Tampa Bay. Going to be a tough game for Justin Fields, but that happens as a rookie. Tampa Bay has no business losing this game at home. Colts at 49ers. Mm. I'm going to go with an upset. I'm going to go with the Colts here. I liked what I saw with the Colts on Sunday. I think Carson Wentz is starting to play like the Carson Wentz I expected to see this season, which is the 2017 Carson Wentz that was in the MVP discussion. Jonathan Taylor looks like a top five running back in the league right now. They got T.Y. Hilton back on that offense. Everything's going right for the Colts right now. Not so much for the 49ers. I think the Colts go in to San Francisco and beat the Niners. And Monday Night Football, the Saints at the Seahawks. Got to go with the Saints just because I don't trust Geno Smith to win that game. And that is all we have time for in the first half of this episode so we are going to take a quick break when we come back we've got mlb alcs nlcs talk recap of what's going on in those series right now a little mini nba preview and college football picks discussion and much much more you will not want to miss it don't go anywhere we'll be right back welcome back to season three episode 21 of the jack of all trades sports podcast Let's talk some playoff baseball, and those first-round series did not at all go how I expected them to. The division series, of course. I had the Rays facing the Brewers in the World Series, and they both lost in the first round. And right now, we got some good series going on, the ALCS and the NLCS. And the Atlanta Braves, I guess, I've said it before and I'll say it again. What matters in October in the MLB playoffs is who, which team is hot at the right time. The Braves might be the hottest team in baseball right now. And they are proving it. They win game one against the Dodgers on a walk-off by Austin Riley. They win game two against the Dodgers in Atlanta on a walk-off by Eddie Rosario. And right now, they're up 5-2 to two on the Dodgers in L.A. in game three in the top of the seventh inning. So the Dodgers, who did... it. Who did go down? This is an, obviously an NLCS rematch from last year. The Dodgers, who did go down from 
a 2-0 to the Braves last year and at 1.31 to the Braves last year and came back to win that series. Can they do it again? I don't think so. I don't I think if the Dodgers don't turn this game around tonight, they're going to get swept by the Atlanta Braves. It's 5 to 2 right now. The Braves offense is clicking on all cylinders. I feel like a lot of a lot including me underestimated the Braves especially after Ronald Acuña Jr went down with an ACL injury for the rest of the year. But they have some players, obviously Freddie Freeman, Ozzie Albies, Duvall, Eddie Rosario coming into his own. They got Austin Riley, the hero in game two, game one. He's been hitting the cover off the ball in the postseason. The Braves are for real, and the Dodgers don't have a lot of time to turn it around, but that's where that series stands. I would pick the Braves to go to the World Series in that series as it currently stands right now. But getting over to the other series, the Astros and the Red Sox. Game one was a great win for the Astros. They had clutch home runs from Jose Altuve and Carlos Correa, and the Astros won 5-4. to four. But then something happened. Then the Boston Red Sox just flipped a switch. And like I said, what is postseason baseball about? It's about what teams can get hot at the right time. And the Red Sox are on one hell of a heater, folks. Is that game just actually started? 8.07 p.m. just started on Fox Sports 1. It's obviously 0-0 if it just started. But game two, the Red Sox hit, hit a grand slam in the first inning. J.D. Martinez hit a grand slam. And Rafael Devers hit a grand slam in the second inning. The Red Sox became the first team in MLB history to hit two grand slams in one postseason game. And to top it all off, after winning game two on the heels of those two grand slams, they win game three on the strength of another grand slam by Kyle Schwarber. They just can't stop hitting grand slams. They hit three home runs in yesterday's game. They blew out the Astros in games two and three. And they, they won 12-3 to three yesterday. And they're about to play today. Zach Greinke on the mound. For Houston, not exaggerating when I say it might be Zach Granke's biggest start as a Houston Astro. It's got the feel to a must-win game for the Astros because the Red Sox right now have all the momentum. Obviously, the format in the ALCS and the NLCS is, I believe it's a 2-3-2, meaning the home team, the team with home field advantage, gets the first two games. The away team gets the next three. That way, the home teams gets games six and seven. So if the Red Sox continue this heater they're, heater they're on, they have all the momentum right now. Because if they win this game, they'll have a chance to close it out in, at Fenway in game five. And if the Red Sox can avoid going back to Houston, I love their chances in this series. But right now, it looks like we're going to see Red Sox Braves in the World Series. Right now, if I had to pick, I would pick the Braves in five. I think the Dodgers don't. If they don't win today, they'll win tomorrow. And I think the Red Sox will win in six. And I think we're in for in for a fun World Series against two teams. A lot of people rid off, wrote off before the playoffs, the Red Sox and the Braves. The Braves didn't even win over 90 games in the regular season. But like I said, it's about who gets hot at the right time. The Braves are hot. The Red Sox are hot. And they're beating who's in front of them. And that's how it's going right now. But that's what's going on around playoff baseball right now it's still five to two Braves in the top of the seventh they got a guy in first with one out 
and that Astros-Red Sox game is 0-0 in the top of the first. We will update you at the end of the – we will update you on those scores at the end of the episode as well. But let's get into some NBA preview because we got a lot to talk about in the NBA because the season has started. The Bucks are currently playing the Nets right now, and it, it's going to be an exciting season. I think there are a lot of storylines this season, obviously. The Lakers bringing in Russell Westbrook only keeping three players from their roster last year, totally revamping the roster. Can they get back to the championship caliber team we all expect them to be? Can they get back on top of the mountain and give LeBron a chance at his fifth title? That's a big storyline. Can Giannis Antetokounmpo mold himself into the league's undisputed best player by winning another title this year? That's another question. Can Kevin Durant... James Harden and the Brooklyn Nets figure it out without Kyrie Irving this year and maybe win a championship in the borough. There are just a lot of storylines this year. And let's get let's just talk about some teams I think that are going to do well this year. And if I had to do – we could do – how about we do this? We'll do a top 10 preseason power rank in the NBA as the season starts tonight. I'll give you my finals prediction, and I'll kind of give you a little mini outlook on the Cleveland Cavs season because – you know, you guys are Cleveland fans. I'm a Cleveland fan. So let's do that. My number one power ranker, power ranking right now would be the Brooklyn Nets. Um, I expect them to win somewhere between 50 and 58 games this year. And they're the favorites for the NBA title right now. They got, obviously, Kevin Durant and James Harden, two top 10 players in the NBA. But their biggest question surrounding them is what is going on with Kyrie Irving? Will he play? And like we talked about last week, the answer is no, unless he gets vaccinated. So we'll see. But despite not having Kyrie Irving, they still have two of the top 10 players in the league Then in Kevin Durant and James Harden, and that alone should be good enough to get them near the top of the Eastern Conference, which is why I have them at my number one in my power rankings. Number two, I got to go with the Milwaukee Bucks, obviously the, the defending champs. I expect them to win anywhere between 52 and 57 games this year. Uh, they're plus 800 to win the title. Giannis is the top two player in the league right now, and he ain't two. Um, Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday are two top 25 players in the league right now. And I, I just love this this Bucks team. And another good thing about this Milwaukee Bucks team, obviously led by Giannis, who is, I think is the best player in the world right now, they got, they're kind of flying under the radar, which you normally don't say about a defending champion, but... I think they're flying under the radar a little bit. And I think that's good news for this Bucks team trying to embrace that underdog role. They're my number two right now. Number three, I got to go with the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, this team, they're very, a very unpredictable team. They have three of the top 30 players in the NBA in LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook. Um, but they got a lot of veterans on their team, a lot of experience, not a lot of youth. I don't know how that much that's going to hurt them this year. I expect them to win somewhere between 45 and 52 games this year. So nothing too special, but we we know that if LeBron James can get into the playoffs, they can find a way to win. And that's why I got them at number three, simply because I think LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook will figure it out. And I think they're going to be a good trio. I think they can. This new team can fit together. They also got some 
they've got a collection of six future Hall of Famers in Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Dwight Howard, Carmelo Anthony, and Rajon Rondo. They also brought in some veterans like Wayne Ellington, Malik Monk, Kendrick Nunn. They brought back Dwight Howard and Rajon Rondo, like I said. And they also got a breakout candidate player in Taylor Horton Tucker. So I think this Lakers team is going to be good. I just think they got a lot more to figure out than a lot of people think they do. Number four in my power rankings right now would be the Utah Jazz. They posted the NBA's best record last year. I expect them to win 55 games about. Obviously, I love the duo Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. They don't, besides those two, they don't have a lot of superstar players, but they have a lot of solid, solid players. They brought in Rudy Gay this offseason. Jared Butler, second-round draft pick. He's a breakout candidate for this team. And their biggest question surrounding the Jazz team right now is can Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert elevate from their performance from last year? And I think they can. That's why I have them number four in my power rankings right now. Number five, the Phoenix Suns. They ripped through the Western Conference playoffs last year. Obviously, they were two wins away from the NBA Finals after taking home a 2-0 lead. I expect them to win 51, 52, 53 games, somewhere in that range this year. Love Devin Booker, love Chris Paul, love DeAndre Ayton. They brought back Chris Paul on an extension. Their biggest, biggest question, can DeAndre Ayton take that next step to becoming a Joel Embiid-type player? And if he can be that dominant, the Suns have a chance to win the title. Number six, the Miami Heat. I expect them to win somewhere between 45 and 49 games this year. They did bring in Kyle Lowry. That's a huge addition for them. They also brought in gritty veterans like P.J. Tucker and Markeith Morris. And they still got a top 15 player in Jimmy Butler, top 20 player in Bam Adebayo. Adding that with Kyle Lowry gives them a great second option scoring-wise. I think Tyler Hero could still break out. And I think the Heat have an outside chance to win the East. They're my sixth team. Number seven, I got the Denver Nuggets. Uh, Nikola Jokic's MVP season was very fun to watch. Without Jamal Murray, the Nuggets were no match for the Suns, but now they wait to see if Murray will be able to return from a torn ACL suffered in mid-April. I fully expect the Nuggets to win 50 games this year. Solid 50-32 and 32 record. They signed Michael Porter Jr. to an extension. If Jamal Murray can come back and come close to the form he had, in 2020, in the bubble where he was going toe-to-toe with Donovan Mitchell, the Nuggets will make it out of the second round. And they're, they're a very good team. Number eight, I've got the 76ers. Oof. They're a very tricky team after, especially what happened today. Um, ben Simmons got thrown out of practice today because he basically refused to participate in a defensive drill. He's apparently not mentally ready to join the team. Joel Embiid went talked to the reporters today and said basically he doesn't care anymore about Ben Simmons. They just need to clean up this Ben Simmons saga because when they do, they're still a very talented team. Joel Embiid's a top 10 player in the NBA. They got top 100 players in top, Tobias Harris and Seth Curry, and they got a breakout candidate in Tyrese Maxey, who would be the clear choice to replace Simmons as the team's floor general. He, he's a young guard who will make mistakes, but he's an explosive, talented player who can prove that he's a starter for the Sixers squad. Their biggest question mark for this season, why I have them at eight in my power rankings, is 
What is going to happen with this Ben Simmons saga? What is your next move? Are you going to trade Ben Simmons? Are you going to cut Ben Simmons? Are you going to ride it out with Ben Simmons? They need to answer that question before I move them up in my power rankings. Number nine, I got the Atlanta Hawks. They made the Eastern Conference Finals very surprisingly last year. I expect them to win about 47-ish games this year. Be back near the top four of the East. I love their squad. Trey Young, John Collins, Clint Capella, Bogdanovich, just to name a few. DeAndre Hunter, I expect him to take that next step this season. But was their playoff run a fluke? Uh, They shocked the world with their their conference finals run, but there's reason to believe it was just a one-time appearance. They've changed last season once. They switched from Lloyd Pierce to Nate McMillan. Trey Young's scoring dipped by more than four points in the regular season, but he ramped things back up in the playoffs. They returned 10 of their top 13 players, and they added guys like DeLon Wright, Jalen Johnson, Sharif Cooper. So that's something to watch. They're my number nine team. Closing out the top 10, I got the Golden State Warriors. They're a tricky team to predict this year. Um, biggest question for them is Clay Thompson going to be healthy enough to make that same impact we saw in 2018 the last time we saw him. I don't know. I expect them to win anywhere between – this is going to be a big range here, let me tell you. 37 and 51 games. They can win anywhere between those. They added a lot of good veterans to the bench like Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, brought back Andre Iguodala, Otter Porter Jr., Nemanja Bajelka, uh, Jordan Poole showed flashes of being a very good offensive player last season. But their biggest question is Clay Thompson's ret- return. Are they still the championship caliber Warriors? That's the question they need to answer. Cur- Steph Curry is going to be 34 in March. And it remains to be seen whether he has the, the core around him to get his team back to the NBA mountaintop. While so much of the season revolves around what kind of player Clay Thompson can be, it will also be crucial that the Warriors develop James Wiseman, the number two pick last year, after an up-and-down rookie year. If he returns and can give the group a boost while Kaminga and Moody develop, the Warriors will have reason for hope this season and beyond. And they're my 10th team in the league. And then guys who just missed the cut in my power rankings, the Mavericks are right there. The Clippers are right there. The Celtics are right there. Even the Knicks are in the top, and then the Trailblazers are in the top 15, I would say. But let's get to the Cleveland Cavaliers, a little Cavaliers preview for you this season. I'm expecting the Cavaliers to be more competitive this season than they have been in the past. Now, a lot of people aren't projecting this. Um, ESPN's projecting them to go 26 and 56, while 538's projecting them to go 25 and 57. It's been three seasons since LeBron left. This, but the Cavs' young core appears to be trending in the right direction. I think this point in the rebuild is when you start taking that next step forward. Start contending for a play-in tournament spot. I love bringing in Evan Mobley. He's the seven-footer out of USC. He's got, he can be a franchise-type franchise player. He's that special type of talent. He's great on both sides of the ball. Pairing him, the 20-year-old Mobley, with the 23-year-old Jared Allen shores up the center center position for the Cavs for years. A big player this year for the Cavs. They, they traded Larry Nance Jr. for him. They got him from the Chicago Bulls. It's Laurie Markkinen. He was considered a rising star before injuries, but 
He's an interesting stage in his career, Laurie Markkinen. Uh, he came to the Cavs as part of a three-team trade. Uh, he had 18.7 points and nine rebounds per game in his second year for the Bulls. He's seven feet tall with a more ori- outside-oriented game. He'll fit in re- with Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. Darius Garland and Colin Sexton. I'd lo- I If I had to pick between the two, I love Darius Garland. I think Darius Garland is a future star in this league. He is everything you want in a point guard in today's NBA. He can shoot the three well. He can make plays inside. He's got a great floater, and he can pass the ball effectively. And if I had to pick which one I would rather have suiting up for the Cavs for years to come, it would be Darius Garland. And that brings me to my biggest question for the Cavs, for their future. What does the future hold for the other guard, Colin Sexton? He occupies a unique role for the Cavs franchise. He's their budding star. Uh, he averaged 24.3 points last year, placing him just outside the league's top 20 scorers. But here's the thing. Even though he's improved and the team is propped up on him as a central piece, the front office has been reluctant to give him a max extension. And it report, the, the, the news came out yesterday that the Cavs will not be offering him an extension. At the end of the year, Colin Sexton is going to become a restricted free agent. It's relevant because the Cavs are looking to establish an identity to pull themselves out of irrelevance, and they need to make a decision on Sexton in order to do that. If he's not part of the future plans, they'll have to find a way to replace his value so that the past three years of their rebuild were not a waste. If I had to pick a record for the Cavs, I think they win anywhere between 26. That's very, very low ceiling. I expect them to win more games than that. 26 and 41 games with their ceiling being a eight seed or a nine seed competing in that play in tournament for the last playoff spot. I think the Cavs can get there this year. I think that's a step they need to take forward this year. And if they can do that, that'll be a good, good sign for this rebuild for the Cavs. And we're going to end today with some college football. And what a week last week in college football it was the Purdue Boilermakers beat the Iowa Hawkeyes. That was a little bit of a surprising move, but, you know, it happens. And I didn't see it coming. A lot of people didn't see it coming. But it just makes college football that much more interesting. Here's the top ten right now. Number one, Georgia. Number two, Cincinnati. Cincinnati, highest ranking in school history. Wow. Number three, Oklahoma. Number four, Alabama. Number five, Ohio State. Number six, Michigan. Number seven, Penn State. Number eight, Oklahoma State. Number nine, Michigan State. And number 10, Oregon. That's the top 10 this week. And there are some important games happening this week. Let's start by picking the matchup between number 16, Wake Forest, who is undefeated, and the Army Black Knights. I like Wake Forest in this one. I think Wake Forest has an outside chance at winning the ACC this year. A team no one was talking about coming into the season, but they have proved that they can go head-to-head with anybody. Number two, Cincinnati takes on Navy. Navy's having a down year this year at 1-5, and five, so I'll go with the Bearcats. Cincinnati has to keep winning if they want to be in the playoff and be the first group of five team to make it to the playoffs. And I think they know that that, that pressure's on them and they will respond. 
Number eight, Oklahoma State at Iowa State. That's a pretty good game this week. I like Oklahoma State and the Cowboys to win, though. They had a good performance against Texas on Saturday. Got to watch a little bit of that. I like their I like their offense, but I think they have one of the top ten defenses in the country right now. And that's not what you expect when talking about a Big 12 team, but they've been very, very good this season. Number 10, Oregon at UCLA. I'll take Oregon over UCLA. Clemson at number 23, Pittsburgh. I'm going to take Pitt. Kenny Pickett, Pittsburgh's quarterback, is a Heisman Trophy candidate. Pitt football is very fun to watch. And I think they have all the makings of beating Clemson. Number 22, undefeated San Diego State at Air Force. I'll take San Diego State. Nevada at Fresno State. Give me Fresno State. USC at Notre Dame. Give me Notre Dame. Number 5, Ohio State at Indiana. I'll take the Buckeyes. And number 18, North Carolina versus Miami. I'll take North Carolina. Those are my picks this week in college football. But if I had to predict who the playoff committee would put as their top four this week, I think Georgia is is without a doubt the number one team in the country. Their defense is dominant. But how about the play of backup quarterback Stetson Bennett, who's been playing in place of J, uh, JT Daniels? He's th- he threw for 250 yards and three touchdowns on Saturday. He hasn't thrown an interception in his last three games against all rank of all ranked opponents. Georgia's number one. Number two, personally, I would put Oklahoma, just based off body of work, based off what I've seen from them. Their X factor is quarterback Caleb Williams. The freshman who got his first start last week, Spencer Rattler's going to need to find a new place to play because Caleb Williams is absolutely electric. He dazzled in the second half against Texas and dominated TCU in his first start. He went 18-23, 295 yards, four touchdowns passing, 66 yards on the grounds, and and another touchdown rushing. And I love, love what Caleb Williams does. He's a true leader. He's more of a leader than Spencer Rattler. And that gives this Oklahoma team a whole nother dynamic that not a lot of people saw coming. I would put them at number two. Number three, I would put Cincinnati. I'll give credit to Cincinnati where it's due. I still don't think they're one of the best four teams in the country. But I think the committee will think so. Running back Jerome Ford is a very good player. Obviously, quarterback Desmond Ritter has been very good. But their playoff profile will not get much help from the AAC. So they need to keep not just winning but dominating. Two games with more than 50 points scored is a great start. Their defense has played very well. But a balanced and efficient offense will make it harder to poke holes in the Bears. the Be- Not the Bears. The Bearcats college football playoff candidacy. They need to not just win. They need to win dominantly because they don't have the same body of work that Alabama, Michigan, or Ohio State will have. And then number four, I would have Alabama. Um, They're very much in control of their own destiny in both the SEC and national title races. Bryce Young might be the Heisman favorite, and the committee always loves Alabama, so they, they would be my number four. And then you know how like in the college football graphics, they do the last two out, which are the five and six. I would put Ohio State, the first two out, I should say. I would put Ohio State at number five and Michigan at number six. Ohio State has flipped a switch on defense. 
The group has gone through a coordinator change midseason, and it looks as though it is still working through some of its issues. But C.J. Stroud looks good. He's been gaining confidence. They've got the best receivers in the country at Ohio State. Not many teams can match the Buckeyes point for point when they're clicking, which they have been. And the number six, I would go Michigan. Michigan's having an impressive year this year. And as an Ohio State fan, I hate saying that. But Jim Harbaugh's had his team ready this year. Running backs Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins make the Michigan offense go. Uh, but they need quarterback Cade McNamara to continue performing. This team is very talented. They would be my number six team right now in the country. And that's kind of what's going on around college football. And that's all the time we have for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, please go follow the podcast on Instagram at Jote Sports Pod. That's at J-O-T Sports Pod. We will be back with a number, another episode next week. You will not want to miss it. But until then, hope you guys do something fun. Enjoy the fall weather. Do something nice for somebody else this week. And I hope you guys have a great week. Until then, I've been Jack Bernie signing off.